Dear Father, thank you so much for Tim stepping in at the last minute. Lord, I just pray you'll be with him as he speaks. And Lord, for all of us listening, that you will open our hearts and help us receive his message. Thank you, Lord. Bless your name. Amen. So over to you, Tim. Thank you, Diane. Um, good morning, everyone. Good morning, church. I hope you're all keeping well. Um, when I knew that I was going to speak today, I did ponder for some time on what I felt God would want me to say. Um, and I'll be honest, what he has opened for me is not easy for me to do. Um, and I have deliberated for the past few days on whether to go ahead or not, or simply to choose an easier to deliver subject. Um, but those that know me well will also know that I have a tendency to speak from my heart more than from my head. Um, and as always, um, through the specific lens of my own global calling, of integral mission and of justice. However, um, I wanted to be sure that what I say this morning is not only God inspired, but also because of the subject, communicated sensitively. Um, I pray that I will do that, but can I start by saying that this is not gonna be an all age talk. Um, and I do issue a parental advisory as much of it is probably not appropriate for younger ears. Three things have happened in the past few days that gave me the motivation and yes, the courage uh, to keep going with this. The first was Greg saying to me not to feel obligated to produce a nicely packaged or sentimental mothering Sunday talk. So if you're expecting that, I'm sorry, you're gonna be disappointed. Secondly, was the um, shockingly sad news of the murder of uh, Sarah Everard and the rightful further outrage that has emerged over the last few days over the safety of women on our streets, especially as it seems likely that the murderer is a man in authority within the police, which makes what I plan to say timely and relevant. And thirdly, a post that Jonathan and Claire's son Samuel put on Facebook last week that made me think, if I stay silent, I'm also complicit because it is silence that allows the injustice to continue. And I trust that you will understand what I mean by that as we progress. So yes, today, at least in the UK is Mothering Sunday, a day of celebrating and acknowledging mothers, motherly figures, significant women in our lives. And as Diane has already said, I, I know that for some today is for a variety of reasons, um, not an easy one, one that brings disappointment, sadness, and maybe raises unresolved issues. It can be a day that is difficult. Uh, what I'm going to talk on is equally a difficult subject for some to hear. So if for any reason you feel unable to continue to listen, please do feel free to turn your, your volume off or to leave Zoom and just be in a place that is comfortable for you. My intention is not to upset, um, but I realise that my words will trigger different responses in people depending on life experience. Mothering Sunday as a church tradition is somewhat misleading as its origins in the 16th century were actually nothing to do with women. It was all about visiting the so-called mother church, paying respect and honor to what would have then been the all male leadership of the home church, the place in which you were baptized or brought up. And over the years, the tradition 
became more focused on mothers giving children an opportunity to show gratitude. But even I can recall as a child in the 60s and 70s, receiving my takeaway daffodil at very twee church services, handing it over to my mum, and then going home while she prepared, cooked and served the Sunday roast, cleared and washed up afterwards, and probably did so much more throughout her special day to look after us all. I'm not against tradition in any sense, although I honestly do find the purpose of International Women's Day, which has also been celebrated around the world this week, to perhaps be a more sincere attempt at honouring women and girls globally by using it to address issues that men are so often silent on. Discrimination, gender inequality, supporting women and girls to gain an equal participation in their development, in their education, basically speaking out for women to flourish in the same way as men, the way in which God intended. But even this celebration, I do somehow find a little disingenuous, ingenuous, when globally there is just a token day of a year to show respect, yet throughout the year, men continue to stay silent on issues of harassment, domestic abuse, and violence against women and girls. Of course, men as well as women can and do suffer abuse, but the figures disproportionately affect women. More than 90% of sexual assault victims are women. And in a week where it is them we are celebrating, there are still far too many stories of suffering because of the actions of men. And I say all of this as a middle-aged, uh, my daughter would say I'm over middle-aged now, but a middle-aged man who happened to be born in the right part of the world and who therefore has a degree of privilege and power. I say all of this knowing that I have failed to use that privilege to speak out. I have failed to challenge my peers, my mates, my attitudes, beliefs and ideas that perpetuate a division between us as men and women. I say all of this knowing at times as a young man that I have acted inappropriately, have not guarded my own actions when I have not had the guts to speak against degrading jokes or demeaning comments. So as we celebrate women and girls this week, I want to be bold enough to speak on issues that are so relevant to women but as a man, I speak specifically for other men to hear and for men in the church to stand and not be silent for the sake of our wives, our mothers, sisters, daughters, and all our female friends, colleagues, and neighbors, so that no woman has to live in fear and no woman has to face violence, abuse, or harassment. Already, I, I guess some are thinking, oh, for goodness sake, and this is not to do with the church, just preach the gospel. Well, I suppose my response to that would be, as I always say when I speak, that the gospel is a call to restore broken relationships. And when a response to that call is silent, it enables perpetrators of system, systemic injustices in our world to continue. It damages and it destroys God's creation, which we have been ordained to take care of and to be responsible for. The restoration of relationships between men and women is as much a gospel message 
as any evangelistic witness to the world. Genesis 1.27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Galatians 3.26-29, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Right from the start, God created us equal. And we are to receive an equal inheritance of all that God has for us, of equal value, of equal dignity, of equal opportunity to flourish. It was only as I started to live and work with diverse communities around the world that I began to see and understand how broken relationships and inequality between men and women has led to deprivation of basic rights, of access to education, health, and other life essentials. This control has ultimately led to violence, especially in times of war and conflict. By perpetuating a culture where there is a lack of shared responsibility and a lack of shared benefit and an imbalance of power, blame, and then control through force becomes the norm. In Nepal, Gender division of agricultural labour is common, and it is usual for women to do most of the farming. If the rains fell, women are blamed for the lack of food. In Uganda, I watched daily as young girls, never the boys, walked for an hour, two or three times a day to fetch water and to carry 25 kilogram jerry cans back up a hillside. It meant the girls were always late for school or they missed school an opportunity for education completely. In Central African Republic, at one of Tierfund's remote field bases, I got to know a family with a young daughter whom I'll call Rose. She was a lively, beautiful six-year-old who would always give me a big smile and a hug whenever she saw me. One day I heard that she was very ill. A few weeks later, I was told that she had died. The family on limited income had decided that paying for their son's education for the future was far more important than paying for the essential medical treatment for Rose that could have saved her life. FGM, female genital mutilation or cutting, is common, especially in sub-Saharan countries, but globally more than 200 million girls have been cut. The purpose? None. No medical benefits, only potential negative health problems later in life. FGM serves for one purpose, for men to exercise control and ownership over women's bodies. In Democratic Republic of Congo, South Kivu province, we knew that the Mai Mai militia were moving closer. One day we received reports that on the Moyan Plateau, 20 miles north, a community had been attacked. The men were all killed and 200 women were rounded up and systematically raped. Rape used as a weapon of war to instill fear and maintain control. And in Syria, as the 10 year anniversary of the start of the conflict is marked tomorrow, the 15th of March, the taking of young girls, especially Yazidi girls, 
to be used as sex slaves is well documented. I've heard stories so horrific, I just would not even want to repeat them. Of course, these examples are all in far, far away lands and are difficult for many of us in the UK to relate to. But here in the UK, more than two women are killed every week by a current or former partner. There's one million reported incidences of domestic abuse every year. Half a million women are sexually assaulted in England and Wales each year, and an estimated 80,000 or more women are raped. But is it a church issue? Well, women in the church are not immune and men in the church are not infallible. As recent heart shattering news about Ravi Zacharias and many others, including my own church leader who helped bring me to faith, but is now in jail, has shown us. By my own church leader, I do of course mean the church leader from long, long ago. It affects us all. I also believe that whilst we have been part of the problem, we are called to be part of the solution. We're part of the problem because we stayed silent, not really wanting to talk about violence against women and domestic abuse. Abuse in the church is often hidden well, and men specifically have failed to speak out. It is, let's face it, uncomfortable and difficult. I mean, when did you last hear preaching on David's rape of Bathsheba, um, for example, in 2 Samuel 11? Take a look at it if you have your Bibles open. I chose to use the word rape rather than adultery, as there is nothing in the passage to state that Bathsheba consented to have sex. But there is plenty to understand that David's lust, desire, lack of personal control and use of power to take what he wanted were all at play. It is, it's interesting that the character, uh, character sketches in my study Bible state that David was best known for his faith, his courage, his great earthly kingship, passion and emotion in the Psalms, whereas Bathsheba is best known simply for committing adultery. Even here in the study Bible, it feels that the abuse committed by David has been erased from record as not being relevant because of his other great qualities. Bathsheba can take the blame. Whilst we're at it, there's also Tamar's story in 2 Samuel 13, 1 to 22. Again, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on this. Tamar was David's daughter, and what we read in this passage is a clear account of a planned act of sexual violence. The person responsible is a half-brother, Amnon, who was full of lust toward, towards his half-sister. He admits his passion for her and is advised to create a story that would make it, it easy for him to have access to her. The sexual, uh, the sexual violence that results has a severe effect on her. She tears her dress. She covers herself with ashes as a symbol of mourning that she has been violated. It is a strong reminder that sexual violence causes immense pain, immense suffering. It is an affront to God and the rights of the individual. Similarly, Amnon abused his power and authority to get what he wanted, despite the harm it caused to Tamar. The other men in the story did not intervene. They stayed silent. Despite being forcibly raped, Tamar was the one that was blamed and ultimately shunned. 
We are part of the problem because we have regularly used weak biblical interpretation to fuel privilege and power. What do I mean by that? Well, certain passages in scripture have been often used out of context and misquoted, which in turn has given justification to attitudes and beliefs which promote the inequality between men and women. Greg touched on one of these passages a few weeks ago when he spoke about submission in Ephesians 5.22. But here are seven more, each of which I suspect could be a, a full Sunday morning preach. So there's a challenge, Greg, to explore how these passage, passages, when used out of context, reinforces a perspective of male authority and perpetuates abuse and hides the abuser. So I've mentioned submission. How about power and superiority in Ephesians 5, 23, that the man is the head? How about the creation of women in Genesis 2, 18, where women are just helpers to men? How about weakness and sinfulness in Genesis 3, 8, where women are weaker than men? How about ruling over in Genesis 3, 16, where men will rule over their wives? What about understanding forgiveness in Matthew 6, 12, where forgiveness means remaining in an abusive situation? How about abuse as suffering in 1 Peter 1.6, that domestic violence is a cross of suffering that must be carried, but will ultimately increase your faith. And how about marriage and divorce in Matthew 5.32, that you'd be guilty of breaking a covenant relationship, so therefore stay in an abusive marriage. There's so much to explore in there, but don't we need sound exegesis and hermeneutics and teaching on it to challenge misconceptions about and attitudes towards one another. But we can be part of the solution because the church is called to be a place that serves the community, that reflects Christ's love, to be sought in light and pray for justice and restoration of broken relationships. We can be part of the solution because we know biblically what God, uh, what godly relationships can look like. And we can teach and model healthy and equal relationships between men and women to our families, our neighbors, our friends and our colleagues. And men, I know that there are so many good men in our church, but can we together be part of a solution by taking a stand, by not being silent, by speaking out when we notice women being harassed or made to feel unsafe? demonstrating respect every day of the year and challenging each other in our attitudes and our actions. Violence against women is not because women won't change their behavior, it's because men won't change their behavior. Can we agree to keep one another accountable? I know this talk has been a bit tough, but I do feel it is important to be able to talk through these issues in church. So I want to just end by reinforcing who we all are in Christ Jesus. This word montage, for want of a better description, brings together a biblical portrayal of our identity from 11 different parts of scripture. And I just want to read it over all of us. Made in the image of God, you are wonderfully created, beautifully made, loved, adored, restored, forgiven, amazing, worth dying for, unique, an heir, part of a family, 
highly valuable, legitimate, God's artwork in direct communication with God himself. You have direct access to the King of Kings and you are powerful. You are loved just the way you are. Thank you for listening. Amen.